In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Be seated. When is the best time for the Christian to learn about political engagement? When do you present the implications of Christian discipleship and doctrine for the matter of living in a democracy? Christmas Eve, it's not the time to preach on the historical development of the liturgical year, especially if you have in mind deconstructing the cult of Nicholas. The same is true for weddings. A couple needs to know what the church thinks it's doing when it presides over a wedding long before that day arrives and death and dying. Well, let's just say if preparation for the next life begins on the day you're born, then the significance of Christian dying and burial must be taught and learned long before the eve of grief and mourning descends. So, so teaching about Christian discipleship and political engagement, maybe the time is now. Maybe it's, now's the time for that. Before, before all the appeals are heard on the newly redrawn voting districts across the country and your backyard. Maybe it's now before the Senate begins to spar over the coming Supreme Court nominee. Maybe it's now, before midterm elections gear up. But Episcopalians aren't the type to talk about voting and the particulars of political persuasion in church. First Amendment protections, the church's long history as an established church, good taste, the desire to get along, inclusivity, these being what they are, they get in the way. The church, the Episcopal church, is populated with reasonable people. People of conviction, yes. Saints who understand, though, the, shall we say, limited role of faith in a pluralistic society. Saints who do not presume to assert one value, especially one religious value, over another. So Episcopalian, they often refrain from talking about how faith should inform one's political posture in the world. But what about the call to imitate Jesus, to follow him, to confront the world with the good news message so well summarized in Jesus' inaugural sermon. Saints of old would, would never tolerate the assumption that the life they had to leave was merely otherworldly or only about what came next after you drew your last breath, as important as that was. What they said and did and dreamed now was meant to anticipate and mirror and embody the emerging economy of God that will prevail then. Their lives were political. They represented a threat to the establishment, and the saints got in trouble for this. They were often mocked and arrested and imprisoned and tortured, executed by those in authority. Those with prophetic voices rarely lived happily ever after. They spoke of Jesus to the dominant class. And, and they did not merely speak truth to power, no. They spoke of the way, the truth, and the life. 
they, they did that to those who lived for wealth and independence and personal prerogative. Yes, yes. They, they paid the price that rabble-rousers and reformers pay. Yes, they were patient and brave and true, but it meant that they had toiled and fought. Are you patient and brave and true? Have you toiled and fought? Your body was once marked by water and oil, marked with the name of the Blessed Trinity. And in that moment, each of the virtues of the Sermon on the Plain, Sermon on the Mount, each of these virtues were pressed upon you. You were in that moment, every man, woman, and child, so likewise pressed, you were called to live a life, public and private, characterized by the vows you had taken or that had been taken for you. There was first the summary of the faith pressed upon you, belief in God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Then if you wanted to, you have just a moment to follow three, I think it's 304, 305 in the prayer book. There were five supplemental vows that came in after the faith had been pressed upon you. Five vows that in essence sought to encourage us along the ways of how shall we then live? If this is the faith, then what shall we do about it? Will you, it says, I will with God's faith was the answer. Will you was the, was the question. I will with God's face was the answer. And you were asked to have, cultivate a yearning for Christian community, a, a determination to recognize and confront sin, a, a commitment to gospel integrity in word and deed. You were asked to cultivate in the fourth vow the servant's heart and in the fifth to recognize that the love of Jesus as the Son of God is never a private matter. Your baptism would now require you to pursue peace, to practice justice, and to pair human dignity with the numinous. Do you see? These vows, they put you in conflict with the world. They, they require you to engage in the public square. They ask you to be about the task of shaping the political conversation. They ask you to vote and believe. They ask you to believe and vote. The claim made on you that day the water touched your head is the same claim that your baptism makes on you today. The call, the call to love one's enemy has got to mean something to the Christian when you go to cast a ballot. The charge to do good to those who hate you has got to mean something to the disciple of Christ who follows a campaign trail. And, and not asking for restitution, turning the other cheek, that's bedrock Jesus. Bedrock how can you look past these and still imagine yourself to be on the way to be a disciple of Christ? Hmm. When you sit down with the evening news, when you sit down with your morning news feed, Christ's call to virtue must not be forgotten. 
neither the warnings of judgment that he provides, the tag, the flip side to the Sermon on the Plain. He, he says, yes, look for virtue, walk towards the virtue, but with the intent of following Jesus, but be wary of the influence money can buy. Woe to you who are rich. Recognize, he says, that Christ's companionship must move you to keep company only cautiously with the self-satisfied. Woe to you who are full now. Further, he says, see that his passion, his pain, causes you to wonder if mirth can serve as misdirection. Woe to you who are laughing now. And finally, Christ's exchange with Pilate it must always make you suspicious of high praise. Woe to you when all speak well of you. Surely now's the time to talk about this, to preach about this, to teach about this. Now, before the single issues come to inflame and obfuscate. So as you worship today, in fact, every Sunday, every Sunday when you come to worship, pray for this country. Pray for this democracy. Pray for the common good it means to serve. But most importantly, pray that this first public teaching of Jesus will always be your guide, primer, and counselor as you seek to walk in the footsteps of the Master. Peace.